You're listening to Family Feud, part of the Paris Style Podcast family. They might not be brother and sister, but they sure do fight like they are. Here's your hosts, Keely Yor and Shotgun Spratling. Welcome to another episode of the Family Feud Podcast. I'm your host, Keely Yor, joined alongside Shotgun Spratling. This week, we're going to be taking a look at USC's crosstown rival matchup against UCLA and talking about USC's loss to Cal. Shotgun, the gut doesn't lie, but my gut, the radar is back. It knows. In what regard? Your gut does lie. Your, your gut's terrible right now. So My gut, in a general health sense, is terrible, but my football gut is on point. Oh, as okay. Of late. Yeah. Because, of course, you saw a safety coming. Excuse me. What I say. If USC has to go into the red zone, take the points. Did Clay Hilton take the points? No. Did you say that? I did say that. Oh, this is when we needed a drop. I do. So I could be like, that is not what you said. No, but it is what I said. I, I edit this in post, and I will drop it in right here. I feel like it's going to be a weird game where both offenses are not going to be good, and USC is going to have to be perfect and take advantage of when they get into the red zone, and I don't really have confidence in that. Still don't believe it. See? You heard it right there. That's what I said. <laughs> sure. I have more to say about this. Before we get into this, as a reminder, y'all can subscribe to us on iTunes, Google Play, and Audio Boom. You can also email us questions and submissions to our podcast at familyfeudpod at gmail.com. Thanks to everyone who's done that. We appreciate you very much. Indeed. Send us your emails. True. This week, for Lil Keely, this was like Super Bowl week. UCLA, USC. This is like, as a Southern California girl, this is this is the week. And it's kind of lackadaisical this week. It's kind of lackluster is more the word. I don't know that anyone has actually even talked about the game itself. Yeah. Uh, it's just two teams not playing well coming into this this matchup. It's not it's very anticlimactic. I did not talk I did not preview this game with anyone I talked to in my interviews this week with the players and coaches. It was all about last week. It was all about the season overall. There was nothing about this actual game coming up. There's nothing about, hey, what about this matchup? What about going up against Darnay Holmes on the other side? What about uh, Dorian Thompson Robinson and you know Wilton Spade? What do they do? No, there was none of that. It yeah, was- I mean, and, and that's indicative of how this season has been going. It's, it's more about the bigger picture. All righty, well, let's just get into stock up, stock down. Who you got for stock up, Shotgun? You got to start with Tyler Vaughn's. Two touchdown catches, eight catches, 91 yards. I mean, he was really good. He was their primary offensive uh, uh, threat in that game. You know, the, I like the play call uh, on the first touchdown that they had. And, you know, the second touchdown was perfectly thrown. But the first play call was really good. It was very basic in, in nature. You know, they send him in motion and basically, you know, they're going to reverse the motion and you just you beat beat your guy to the pylon type of thing. They're going to throw the ball. You got to catch it and beat him to the pylon. And he did that. He got in for the first touchdown. The second one was, like I said, was a great ball from JT Daniels, but he also beat his man in the middle of that route really well. So I thought Tyler Vaughn's had a really good game and a bounce back for him a little bit, uh, you know, from 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 not really excelling before that, the last couple of games coming into that. Yeah, he was relatively quiet coming into that game in a game where you needed him to be that guy with Michael Pittman out. Exactly. So it's definitely stock up for him. I had stock up for Elijah Vera Tucker. That was next on my list. I knew you were going to take it because yep. you are in love with Elijah Vera Tucker. <laughs> I'm not in love with Elijah Vera Tucker. I'm in love with the prospect of, of a better player at that position. How about that? So in love with Elijah Barry Tucker? Sure. Uh, I thought okay. it was encouraging. We can, be, we can be in love with the players. No, no big deal. It's it's not the only pl- person who's in love with the offensive lineman. Clay Helton. You're, I, know. I was trying to get to it. But. You're trying to get there. I had to steal it from you. But hold on. Let me make my point about ABT. Okay. ABT. Uh, I'm encouraged by the fact that Tim Drevno coming into that position now as offensive line coach or interim offensive line coach decided to have a little rotation actual competition there I believe they split reps evenly and I think ABT did well and that's something that if you listen to this podcast you know something that I have been trying to get through just my words trying to see if that would happen uh, because I think that would be a good change there and I think Saturday proved that. So Andrew Voorhees played 37 offensive snaps and Elijah Vera Tucker played 35. So pretty much even numbers. And I haven't got to it yet, but it's pretty, uh, I think those numbers are actually there despite the fact that there's a pretty big discrepancy in number of drives. Not a pretty big, but a little bit of a discrepancy. So this tells you how bad the offensive performance was. 35 plays for Elijah Vera Tucker, 91 yards, and that is more positive than Andrew Voorhees, 37 plays for 51 yards. So USC averaged 1.4 yards when Andrew Voorhees is in there, 2.6 with Elijah Vera Tucker. Neither one of those numbers is good at all. 
But that tells you how bad the entire offense was rather than uh, individual. But I think Elijah Vera Tucker was one of the highest on the team at 2.6, which is also you know very bad. That that's what you're averaging. Uh, I think Oregon State, the numbers were like five and six yards uh, per play. But he did play more in, in that regard. And I talked to uh, Tim Drevno this week, asked him about it. He said that Andrew Voorhees is the starter, but that goes day-to-day. He paused. He said, but that goes day-to-day. We're always competing. Things can change in the starting role. And he told me, he started the sentence. He said, we're looking on to and caught himself. He said, and he goes back to Elijah Turkey. He's a talented guy. We're looking on the future and getting better at football. You've got to be able to get better at football. You've got to play football which I think is a good statement. That's something that you know John Baxter, I talked about uh, you know, what he said last week, is you're basically a fr- you're still a freshman until you actually play. So it doesn't matter if you've been in the program for four years. If you haven't played, you're still a freshman in his eyes. And that's kind of the, the same there. To get better at football, you got to play football. What was he trying to catch himself from saying? I, I feel like he was catching himself from going, we're looking on to the future uh, and Elijah Vera Tucker and realizing, wait, Elijah Vera Tucker is the same age as Andrew Voorhees. They're both second year players. Uh, but maybe, maybe I'm just misreading that a little bit there. He did say, he also said that, that Andrew, Vo- uh, Elijah Vera Tucker, that it's something that he's deserved. He's worked hard. He's talented. He's getting better. And so let's give a guy an opportunity. So that's what he got. They were a little bit better with Elijah Vera Tucker on the field. I thought he was a little bit better than Andrew Voorhees when rewatching the game, but you know the the offense gaining 2.6 yards per play when someone's in is not very uh, good to begin with. So it's not just that position. You know they've got to get better at other positions as well. But I thought he played pretty well when he went in there. He had you know a big block, or not a big block, but he had a key block on a lot. Uh, Oxedric wears long run. Too many AVs and AWs. <laughs> like you're struggling. I mean Andrew Voorhees is AV, and you got AVT, and you got Oxedric wear AW. I mean there's it's all the same letter when you look at it. Wow. Whew, it's too much for me. Um, you know, their game plan was too much for me too, to to get excited about or anything else. But he did have a good block on that. That Akasidja Ware 44-yard run also Toa Lobendon did. They didn't pull too much, and I didn't really expect them to pull that much in this game. Like against Oregon State, a lot of linemen were pulling a lot yeah. because Oregon State's defense tackles are more stationary. They're going to try to grab onto guys, kind of hold up, you know, clog things up. Whereas Cal, they're going to slant, they're going to move more. So they didn't pull a lot, but when they did, they had success with it. So I thought they would have, you know, try to do that a little bit more later in the game, but it didn't really happen. Uh, but on that one run, both Elijah Vera Tucker, his first play in the game actually was that that forty four yard run, and Toa Lomondon both pulled. Great block by um, J- Jalen McKenzie coming down, and also Tyler Tyler Petit I think was on the edge on that play. He had a nice block as well, so that opened up that big hole for him. I mean, I don't think Augustus Ware got touched on that play if I remember correctly. Um, so he runs forty four yards, and that sets up that first touchdown to Tyler Vaughn. So I did think Elijah Vera Tucker. I had him on my list as well. Not only did he play well in in his time, but getting those extra opportunities is big. Indeed. Who else do you got for Another soccer? guy getting some opportunities, Abdul Malik McLean. You know, his first <laughs> opportunity to get in the game. Um, oh, I got The reason why I'm laughing right now is because you were very excited about this. So, Shock and I, at this point of the game, were standing next to each other. And Shotgun's like, hey, hey, he's in the game. I was not standing beside you. You were. No, I wasn't. Because I was laying on the ground. Ah, semantics, shotgun. And then he didn't think I heard him, so then he started slapping me. And I was like, I see him in the game. (laughs) Semantics are important. Anything else for your buddy, Abdul Malik McClay? No, just him getting some opportunities. That shows that he's progressing. You saw Elijah Winston get some opportunities. But Elijah Winston has basically just been in on special teams and done a good job. Uh, But uh, Abdul Malik McClain took over that pass rush role. So he, I don't know, he played five or six snaps. It was just the third long situations where Hunter Eccles had been in that spot. Hunter Eccles kind of gets demoted. He and Kanai Malga, both of those guys, only played one snap each on defense. Uh, so you're seeing some other guys get some opportunities. Uh, you know, didn't feel like they got enough pressure, I guess, with, with some of the other guys. So Abdul Malik McLean gets an opportunity, gets in there. Didn't really get to the quarterback or anything to affect him. But, uh, you know, just the fact he's getting in there has shown that he's done enough in practice to prove himself and, and the coaches are giving him an opportunity. Yeah, and that's a great transition to my final stock up, which is Jake Lichtenstein. Um, he was all over the place. He really has come on in the last couple of games. And I asked Clancy Pendergast about that, and he said it really starts in practice. And he was like, Jake was a guy that we started seeing. He, the light came on in practice, and he was like, I really want to reward guys who do that, and that's why you're seeing him there. And so that's a guy who, I mean, he's a freshman. You didn't, I didn't really expect him to get significant playing time and and what he's done with his playing time so far has been really really good job for him yeah he's he's really progressed and 
I asked KU about him this week, and KU's eyes basically lit up. He had this big smile on his face. He said, oh, man, he's, he's doing an amazing job. He said the kid's a natural. You show him something one or two times, and he gets it. Uh, so he he was really happy that that with the progression that, that Lichtenstein's made. And he was kind of telling me about you know his story of going down to Cypress Bay in Florida and finding him. He said, you know, I saw him. I saw his natural ability on film. He's able to change direction. He's always on the balls of his feet. He said, you could really tell, KU said this about Jacob Lichtenstein. He said, you could really tell he's a really good athlete. So when I went down there, I was expecting like most guys, they put the wrong information. So you go down to like South Florida, you know, a small, a smaller school in South Florida, not one of the big ones that's on TV all the time. You think he's six five? He says you show up and he's only about six two. But when I got to school and I got closer and closer, when I finally officially saw him, I said, "Man, this kid, this is a good looking kid." So I watched him at practice, and you know, he says that the KU says that when he watches kids at practice, he likes to kind of stay in the shadows a little bit to begin with. He wants to see how they interact with guys, and he said he loved the way he interacts. He said he's a great teammate, so he's been really excited for him. He's a guy that's really progressed in his, his year and a half at USC. So you know, they're really excited to see his progression. I think he had five tackles. Tackles in the game, one tackle for loss. I think he had one or two that are right at the line of scrimmage or maybe a yard gain. Uh, so he was playing in the backfield. I've been really impressed with him. I had him on my stock up last week. I was tempted to put him on there again this week, but I figured you might go there. So Okay. Okay, sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean sure, yeah. that that KEU quote is great. That's that's <laughs> just a great insight into the whole world of recruiting. It's great. Oh, the best part though, I said, what has he done to progress? And you know, before I could finish the question to be like to get some playing time to everything, he said, worked his ass off every day. <laughs> Wow, okay. sometimes KU's hit or miss. He when but when he likes a guy, no KU's never hit or miss. KU is always great. He just never sometimes wants to talk. Just, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. Sometimes he just when he doesn't want to talk, it's it's. But yeah. when he does, it's good. Anything else to stock up? I got to stock up. Kevin Porter Jr. We got to talk hoops. Oh no! <laughs> yeah, it's hoops time. Kevin Porter Jr. Oh my goodness, young fella. Throwing highlights all over the place. He threw an alley-oop over his head last night. He threw another alley-oop that was a little bit behind Shaquan Aaron that made for a great highlight. He got he got called this year's Trey Young. Yeah, I saw that. And That's it, pretty crazy. And what they meant by that was that he could skyrocket into the draft in the top five. I saw a mock draft yesterday that had a thing sixth. Uh, you know, he really blew up in the Drew League this summer. Uh, and, and you know a lot of the highlights were showcased with with his ability to make you know kind of break guys' ankles and stuff. But I, I was skeptical to see him play in a game in a team situation and team setting because I've seen guys JT Terrell was great at breaking guys off and creating his own shot but struggled to play in the team game and different things uh, so I, I was skeptical of him playing but he is a creator for his teammates you know he's he's taken some what I would classify as bad shots normally as a freshman you don't want a guy's taking step back uh, jump shots uh, far you know deep twos but He's draining them, so you can't say anything bad about it uh, when, when you're knocking them down as uh, efficiently as he is. I've been really super impressed with him the first three games. He's been really good. I've talked to him a couple times. Uh, great kid, you know, from, from all indications. So he's a guy, that his stock is flying up right now. Okay, I'll allow it. I'll allow it. Oh, you don't want to allow hoops to be involved in no, this. No, but you, you made a good case, so <laughs> the judge says, okay, stock down. Who you got? Let's start with accountability. Ooh, yes, please. I mean, Clay Helton will take any onus, you know, but he doesn't really give you answers as to what's going to happen. You know, it's on me. I've got to get better. Well, how are you going to get better? There's no real answers there. Iman Marshall has a penalty at, at late in the game. You know, your senior makes a has a penalty. He leaves after the game. Doesn't want to talk to the media. That's fine. That you know, they're they're not a lot. They're not forced to talk to us. It's a privilege that we get to talk to them because a lot of programs they don't get to talk. But then this week when he was asked about it, he basically said, if we can't talk, then what can we do? Like, he didn't take accountability, in my opinion, for it. He, he should have owned it and said, I made a mistake. I shouldn't have been called for that penalty. And then be ready to move on. But he didn't want to talk about the situation. He basically said, if we can't talk, can't do it. He did say he apologized to the team. Clay Helton said that as well. You know, Clay Helton said, you know, the, the, the couple of the players stood up and, and took accountability for their actions in the game during the team meeting. But it, it kind of falls flat that that happened when when you don't say that it was your fault afterwards, uh, and then you know Toa Lomanad's bad snap. That's a senior as well. It just seems like the seniors were the ones making the mistakes in this game, and that is usually uncharacteristic is uncharacteristic of a really good team, which might tell you a lot about this team, though. Yeah, that's a great point. I mean, weaving into what I had as far as accountability, just Clay Helton. You know, Clay Helton seemed ecstatic that that 
Iman Marshall took responsibility for his actions and apologized to the team. And he said, like, it was phenomenal, a vet move, a pro move, lots of adjectives. And it's like, that should be expected. That should be expected from your senior who has matured as much as he has. Like, why is this getting so much praise? You can you can be happy about it, but you like I feel like it's just overkill to go as far as Clay Helton did. Um, but I had stock down on the seniors, uh, Tolomanon. At this point, you can't do that. You can't. I, and it also goes to Clay Helton. Why are you being loyal to a fault? Why are you being loyal to the point? It's gotten to the point where it's arguably cost the game. You know, it doesn't make sense. And then Emil Marshall... It's unfortunate. I didn't. I. I'm not entirely sure if that warranted a penalty, but nevertheless, you shouldn't be in that situation to begin with. Don't give them that option. Um, and it's unfortunate because Emil Marshall has come so far. I think that he's matured a lot. He used to when he was younger. He talked so much trash in practice and in games and in spring and over the course of this year. He's been really quiet. He's been really serious about his business. And it was just really unfortunate, especially uh, you, Shotgun, wrote uh, right before the game that Elon Marshall deserves All-American uh, honors or at least to look at that. Yeah. Consideration, thank you. And for that to happen in that game, it's like people will only remember that. Like I feel like we've been trying to be like, hey, Elon's actually good. Like calm down. Twitter haters and then to do that it just doesn't get people off his back so it was just unfortunate for all of that to to happen yeah he, he still deserves all-american consideration he's been fantastic this season he has been a lockdown corner for usc there's a ton of stats in that uh in that article i compared him with the numbers that denzel ward put up last year at ohio state when he was the number one cornerback selected in the draft at number four overall compared to isaiah oliver who's the number one pac-12 cornerback i compared him all the pac-12 um all Pac-12 cornerbacks last year, he compared his numbers are as good, if not better, than all of those numbers. Denzel Ward is probably the best comparison number-wise as far as yards per reception and you know yards per target, yards per you know coverage snap. You know his numbers are really good there. Um, this is a bad mistake, but that's the thing why I say it's stock down on accountability because he can make this mistake, and I I would be right behind him saying if he apologized for the mistake, I made a mistake, I made it made a fault. I remember. One of the things that I've remembered that stuck with me the most covering USC was Ronald Johnson. Against Notre Dame, the rain game, he drops a pass that would have been a touchdown that would have won the game. They lose the game to Notre Dame. He was there to talk to the media afterwards. He was it felt like he was almost in tears talking about it. But he, you know, had as a senior, he was gonna go and he was gonna talk and you know he felt it was his duty to you know to explain, you know, I, I messed up, I, I dropped the ball. And that happened, you know, mistakes happen. But do you own up to them or do you walk away from from your issues? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I also had decision-making. Um, yes. Going for the fake field goal. Yes, I had coaching decisions stocked down. Okay, go. I'll let you go for it then. Okay. Coming out of ASU, how much did we say, in hindsight, you should have taken that field goal? You should have kicked the field goal. Why haven't you learned from that mistake? I mean, we knew coming in, into this game, I said this before, we said that, Cal's defense is top 25, if not higher. If you're in the red zone, take the points. Score. You have to. They're not going to give you a lot. <laughs> yeah, that was a positive for us. So, I mean, granted, it's first quarter. Sure, you don't know this, uh, the outcome of the game yet. But why aren't you taking the points? This is a, a offense that has been anemic. It has been feast or famine. And at this point, you don't know how the game's going to go. So why are you having a fake? And then why are you having a fake with your backup kicker who just came off of ACL surgery? Why is this happening? Why aren't you why aren't you just making the easy decisions that make you and your players' lives easier? It doesn't make sense to me. Mini rant over. Now I'm gonna give Travion Beck some credit here. He made a really nice play, peeling off and going to make that play. Now Tyler Petit was subbed in on that play. He does not normally on the uh, extra point unit, the field goal unit. He was in on that play, had a great block sealing off the thing. You know, On the other side, Christian Rector ran a route that basically kept the safeties on us. So the play was there. Problem is, you're running it with a guy that is not fast and is coming off a torn ACL. So that, that makes the decision that much more difficult for me to make the decision. It, and if you run a fake, you have to believe it's going to work 100% of the time. John Baxter said that yesterday. And he said he would run this again. You know, he, he, you know, he liked the play. He felt that they executed every part of the play. It just didn't work. Well, if it didn't work, then that's not going to be 100% uh, there. So, But they thought it was going to work 100%. So I, I 
you know, I don't know what we're not seeing that's negative in Michael Brown for you not to go for these field goal opportunities. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Because I don't think it was that long of a field goal. I don't remember off the top of my head how far it would be. It was not far. But here's the thing. They were on the 18 yard line. So it would have been a seven, you know, you had 17 basically to every yardage. So it'd been a 35 yard field goal. You take the points when you get gifted points. Uh, So Cal flubbed up the opening kickoff, called for a fair catch, dropped it. So they got the ball on the three yard line. USC gets a three and out, takes over the ball, you know, drive down a little bit. They should have taken advantage of it. Yeah. Sorry, I was looking at the wrong thing. They were on the 25, so it had been a 42-yard field goal. So that's a little bit longer than 35, but still, Take perfectly in his range. Goal. Perfectly in Take his range. the field goal. I agree. Thank you. So for another stock down, I had the sanctity of coach speak. <laughs> okay, I'm intrigued. I'm intrigued. Let's go. <laughs> I appreciate coach speak. I think there's a time and a place for coach speak. You know, sometimes you need the your player to win the game. You need random cliches. You know, you need them. But Clay Helton, I think, has gone too far. <laughs> I just think I think it's too much. I think after the game that Tolo would not have to come out again and say, to, in a straight face, making dead eye contact with the reporter who asked this question and say, Toa is the lo- Toa Lovedon is the love of my life and he will be our center. Why? What? Like, I don't care if he's the love of your life. How is that that's coach weird. speak, though? That's not a, that's not a generic is, cliche. He's, he's a coach and he said it. And it's weird coach speak. <laughs> it's weird. That's not coach speak, though. Okay, coach true. speak is tired cliches you hear all the time this was something new and inventive i like it but it's it's clay helton coach speak because when i tweeted this out people tweeted at me wait this quote was real like he actually has said this you guys didn't make this up i was like of course he said it we didn't make it up but why are you saying that after like they okay i i don't have a problem with tola Wunan actually being the love of his life if that's the case Cool. That's not the issue I have. The issue I have is why are you saying this after he essentially cost you the game? Like, there's a time and a place for it. Maybe if he's going to the draft. Tolo Manon has been a five-year guy for us. Really put himself on the line. Love of my life. Sure. Good. Not when he does that. Why? And, and the fact that he gives up a safety, essentially, and he comes back on the next drive. Why? And then to give him a vote of confidence at the end and say that he's the best man and the best person at that position, how does Brett Nealon and Justin Dietrich feel after that? I know from what he was liking in my mentions that he didn't feel too great after the game. Who's he? Uh, Brett Nealon. <laughs> Thank you. Shotgun's giving me a look like I'm crazy, but... Yes. I just don't under... It seems... Why would you not give a vote of confidence to your players? You, If you're the head coach, you take the blame and you he didn't stand take the behind... Blame. Did he take the blame? Not for that. Who could take the blame for that? But he took the blame for the game. He said, it's on me. We have to get it fixed. But I'm talking, well, that was your point for what he said about Toa Lomanon. He doesn't have to say that about Toa. But he, he's not going to go, you know, he's terrible. I got to get him out of there. I did don't know I, what we're going to do with that. Did I say he needed to say that? No. What did, he, what did you want him to say then? You know what? Toa is our senior and we're honoring his veteran status. We both know that it needs to get better. And I'm not going to sit here and make excuses for him, but moving forward, it will get fixed. Did he make an excuse for him? No, he just said he's the love of his life. I'm saying that's why he... <laughs> whatever. It's like if you have a puppy and they, they... Are you really arguing this? This is not out of this world. Like, why is this the issue you're having a problem with? Because you want your coach to stand behind his players. Sure. But there's a line. But, but... <laughs> I hate you. There's a line. There's a line. You cannot argue with me that there is a line. And it was too far. I, first off, you, you said that it was bad coach speak when it wasn't coach speak. Now you get it mad at him. Helton coach speak, oh okay? When you have a pet and they, they destroy something, you still love them. I'm not. What, what do you think I'm arguing here? I don't know hey, anymore. Thank you. That, yeah, your, your argument's back to me. You proved that. Don't say that. Just don't say Tolo on is the love of your life. Then why wasn't that your argument? I literally said that no, multiple times. I did. You said you wanted him to come out and chastise him publicly. I never said that. Yeah. No, I didn't. Yeah, you did. I did not. When did I say that? You what did it, I say? When I just asked you what you were going to say, you said this is unacceptable. Well, we got to get it fixed. Or we got, we're, we're going to get it fixed. His play is unacceptable. That snap was unacceptable. I don't think I would have called him the love of my life. Um, That's what I've been arguing this whole time. 
I'm resigning from this podcast indefinitely. <laughs> you have dro- you've driven me to that point. Oh my goodness. Some would say that Clay Helton should do the same. Whoa. Well, Shotgun, what, what else do you have on stock now? Timeout usage? Yeah. You know, that, we talked about yeah. how terrible some things were that Clay Helton did were, or how terrible some of the things he did were. How about this timeout usage? You know, calling a timeout before a fourth down when you're going to end up punting the ball? Yeah, probably not the best time to call the timeout. Probably should just knew that you're you're on your own thirty yard line in the third quarter. I think I think you should just know that that's when you got to punt it. Uh, also, so they wasted another timeout in the second half, so they end up having one timeout remaining when Cal gets the ball back. Now Cal picks up what one two first downs. You know they pick up one on fourth down, which ends up sealing the game. But if you had that extra timeout, even when they picked up that first down, you would have had a little bit more time. Uh, so they wouldn't have been able to just take three knees. They would have still been trying to get one more first down. So by use by wasting one of the, one of those two timeouts, if you whichever one you want to blame more, I don't care. But by wasting both of them, you cost yourself a first down at the end of the game. So you cost yourself one extra chance to get off the field because you didn't save a timeout correctly. It has been something we've seen with Clay Helton throughout his tenure. He just and timeout usage has not been his. Strength. He was really bad last year. It was pretty much cleaned up this year. I haven't really had an issue with a lot of the timeouts. Some it's usually confusion on the offense or something. Hey, this is an important time. We're going to take a timeout. Make sure we get it right. Um, you know, I, I don't think that it's just been like there's been last year. It was just why 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 are you using that timeout? There'd be like someone would go the wrong way in a motion you know, on a running play, and the running play would be the other way. And you're like, it doesn't matter. Just just run the play or whatever it is. Yeah, but. When it costs you, second half timeouts are even that much more important than first half timeouts because you're at the end of the game. It's a little bit different. Um, it just by wasting that timeout, like I said, you cost yourself one more opportunity to get off the field. And the defense was playing good enough that if you know they probably probably could have got off if you had one more opportunity. I think. Yeah, I agree. I had stock down um, for USC fan morale. Oh, definitely. It is. Which is what low. I just said about some people were saying about Clay Helton. I just wish you would resign. That ain't happening. Yeah, I mean, it's crazy. Tweeting after the Cal game and tweeting this week, just the ratio of comments to favorites and retweets. People are, anything Clay Helton says, anything about it is just, oh, people are freaking out. And, and rightfully so. This is, Freak out. USC fans are not used to this. USC fans are not used to, to mediocrity. And I've been waiting to say this for UCLA week. Uh, as a former UCLA fan, I know everyone turning off the podcast now. No, it, everybody's just is, scratching their head like, what? This is what I was used to as a UCLA fan. And so it's crazy seeing USC fans being like, we don't know what this is. This is horrible. This needs to stop. Burn it all down. Whereas a 5-5 five and five season as a UCLA fan, you're like, okay. <laughs> Bowl eligible, maybe. So it's definitely not good for USC fans at this point of the season. Yeah, USC needs to get one win to become bowl eligible. They have to. That will potentially, potentially help the, if they lose the next two games. Obviously, this doesn't happen, but that will give them the chance to avoid their first losing season since two thousand. Which two thousand doesn't seem that long ago to me. You know, I was still in high school. That's eighteen years ago. That's a long time. I was starting kindergarten. Nice. Uh, it would be the fourth time in the last fifty-five years. That's what I'm saying. This is this is not what USC fans are used to at all, and it's killing them based on the people in my mentions. Yeah, I wouldn't call it unprecedented since it has happened, but true. without change, I think it might be unprecedented. I don't know if there were coaching changes after each of those, but I know there was at least one or two of them. So losing seasons don't happen at USC. Like I, we were talking about it earlier at UCLA, you know, they yo-yo. Sometimes they're good. Under Jim Moore would be like, up, down, up, down. Yeah. And you, you kind of are used to that as usually as kind of like USC basketball. You're up, down, up. You kind of get used to that compared to UCLA's always been a power in basketball. USC's always been a power in football. When UCLA basketball has a bad season, if they have a losing season, people are like, what in the world? What's going? The world's going great. And that's what you're getting at USC right now. Fourth time in 55 years. Could be. Could be. So it's only happened three times since 1960 or something. I don't remember the exact year, but ridiculous. Yeah, it's crazy. It's mad times at USC. Yeah, so I'd stock down on the program right now. Agreed. The program Completely is. Agreed. You're kind of wondering if, you know, that's the sound effect for something going downhill. The other sound effect is, you know, when it, when everything explodes and you just get a. That was pretty good. That was not a drop. That was shotgun. 
A special effects master over there. Yeah. So that's uh, that's your, the question is: Are we going to get which sound effect is going to be the rest of the season? Is it just going to be the slow decline? Maybe maybe you get a little bit of applause at the end when so when it's over, or is it going to be you know the explosion at the end of the season? That's kind of the question that people are wondering. That's the question that people are posing, and I guess kind of hoping for that there's an explosion at the end of the season, which would mean that there that everything is blown up in that sense, uh, as in there is change uh, across the board on the coaching staff. But doesn't necessarily sound like that right now. So what is USC going to do to turn things around? Clay Helton has talked about, you know, programs have bad years. They bounce, they can bounce back from it like Notre Dame did a couple years. Well, Notre Dame, when they did that, they fired a bunch of their coaches and made some wholesale changes. Is Clay Helton willing to do that with this staff? Or does he th- even think that the staff needs that? That is a big question. If, if he says and doesn't make a lot of changes, I will be dumbfounded. It will just be and, – and I don't honestly think – I don't think they have a sense of how angry – angry slash apathetic, I don't know if you can have both – the fan base is right now. Like, I don't think, I think they've been used to, oh, they'll come around. Oh, whatever. You know why they come around? Because you've actually had winning seasons. You've actually put together a good performance and you're not doing it this season. And Clay Helton has won the Rose Bowl. He's won the Pac-12 championship. We know all those things. But there's been cracks in the armor. You know, there's there's been areas where it's like, ah, that doesn't look very good. And you lose 52-6 to six to Alabama. Woo. I don't know if they were ready for that. No, they played much better throughout the season. They played better against uh, um, Penn State at the end of the game. But then last year, you just get beat up physically against Notre Dame. Uh, that doesn't look good. The optics of the game are not good. You Ohio know, State. Ohio State, the same thing. Ohio State, the game wasn't even that, you know, it was pretty close. If they could have scored once in the in, in the red zone late in the game, you're like, oh, this is actually a game here. But then you look at it and you're just like, wow, they just can't do anything with that defense up front. They're just getting dominated up front. What? Is, that does not look good. There's something wrong there. Even as a casual fan, if you're watching, you're just like, there's something wrong there. It doesn't seem right. Isn't USC supposed to be like one of those big powerhouses in college football or whatever? Yeah, they are. And they're not right now. It's not good. Anything else for Stockdown? Uh, that's all I got. Yeah, we trashed on every, pretty much everything. I mean, I could <laughs> go on for days about Stockdown. But. It's true. Heard it on the sideline. You, you talked a little bit about the 15 years comment, so I'm going to skip over that one. I did have that one on here. But listening to the coaches, I mean, there was a lot of trash talking in that game. Yes. How Cal didn't get called for a penalty the entire game for that, I don't know. Because Travion Beck, who I, I talked about earlier, Travion Beck or Bell? Beck? Beck. I think it's Beck. Uh, he, he had one play where he made a tackle or something, and he was – hovering over the guy all in his face and the referee said something to him and he puts his hands up. He's like, I'll do it, I'll do it, and walked away real quick. Now, And he, he was one of the, the most active uh, talkers of the trash, if you will. <laughs> uh, but but you could hear the, the mics that they have. The uh, I'm trying to think of the name of those that they have. I can't think of the name of it, but the field mics they have, basically. They're kind of shotgun mics, but not really. Yeah, the field mics. We'll go with that. The U mics? Yes, the shotgun mic. Uh, the field mics they have you could hear some of it on the broadcast and there were a lot of dirty words being thrown around. The DBs were just chatty. You, Cal's DBs? Yeah. The, I'm, I can't say that on air, but uh, <laughs> one, one of their DBs, uh, Hawkins, was very chatty yes. as well. I think I can't remember if he's a safety or, or corner for them. He was in on a lot of plays and he wanted to let people know that he was in a lot of plays. But there, there was a lot of trash talk back and forth and I think the refs let that go probably a little bit too too much to the end, which is how Iman Marshall gets that penalty. But because of all the trash talking that was going on, you got to imagine you get thrown penalties in that game. Now you bump it up a little bit with a rivalry against UCLA. That's going to be even that much. Is USC going to be, be able to keep their cool? That's a question you know that, that we'll find out on Saturday. But leading up in this week during practice, you heard Dave Campo. Who's no, been, you're stealing mine. <laughs> Sorry. You getting mad about this? Yes. You should have went first then. Dave Campo and uh, Ronnie Bradford, and you know Isaiah Langley was jawing back and forth with Devin Williams, I believe it was. Both and, of who are individually very chatty, mm-hmm. put them together in a drill, and it's chat city. <laughs> yeah, and so because of that, and because the DBs are the ones that got penalized in the past, well, actually the wide receivers also did, but you know Ronnie Bradford was yelling at Isaiah Langley, you know, as a ball is like going out of bounds, and he's like, "Shut your <laughs> mouth." The first play, it was like simultaneous Dave Campo and Ronnie Bradford stop talking like a huge yelling force. And I was like, D- Dan and I were like, oh, 
Okay. Yeah, the, the stop talking, they will shut your bleeping mouth, well, yeah, Isaiah. Yeah, there's <laughs> extra stuff. Yeah, yeah. But it was like, shut up. Shut up, Isaiah. Like, they were fierce. Like, it, and it, did it really stop Isaiah? Not too much. My favorite was Devin Williams. Like, yeah, listen to your coach. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't hear that. That's amazing. Yeah. I think being chatty is part of the game. Yeah, and Iman Marshall said that when he said, you know, everyone talks. But here's the thing. You have to have the situational awareness, not mastery awareness, that there is a time and a place to talk. Know your spots. Pick your spots. You don't walk towards the other bench. Yes. You basically, Biggie basically walked to the sideline where they were at and was yelling at someone. If you do that, your back is to the playing field. You're probably going to get flagged for it, especially the Pac-12 rest. The referee that threw it, there was a referee standing basically between him and whoever he was yelling at, you know, be, uh, you know, kind of perpendicular with him. There was a, a referee behind him is the one that flew the flag. Now, did he hear as much as the referee that was right there? No, but because it's Pac-12 refs, he saw something was going on. He decided to throw a flag. So I don't even know if there should have been a flag call, but you can't put yourself in the situation. Exactly. You just can't, you can't do it. Look, trash talking happens. Trash talk should happen. It's part of the game. It's one of my favorite parts of the game. But you just got to know when to pick your spots. Like I said, you can't walk into their, you know, basically walk into their sideline type of thing. And if it gets heated like that, restrain yourself. Like, looming over players is, is when you can potentially get a penalty. That's what Amon Ra got his penalty for because on the touchdown, he went and then hovered over the top of, of Elijah Hicks. And I'm okay with that because if you loom over me, I'm going to get mad. And if I get mad, I'm going to get up and then we're going to start something. So that was like, I used, there was someone. When um, you say you're okay with that, you're okay with what? The penalty? Trash talking. No, I'm okay with trash talking, but not so looming o- over someone. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I'm okay with saying whatever, telling someone about their mother and their, their, their dog and whatever it is that you want to talk about. That's fine. Words are fine with me. Um, but once you start hovering over someone, you, you, you put yourself in a threatening position. You know, if you're just physically not on a football field, that would be a threatening position. Then that's when you take you've taken a little bit too far in my mind, yeah, uh, and I now agree. the intent of that is to intimidate. You know, you're trying to intimidate the other person, but that's when you put yourself in a position where you can get that penalty called. I think so. I'm okay with people trash talking and trying to get in somebody's head mentally. And I bet you, I would not be surprised if Justin Wilcox said, "Hey guys, turn it up a little bit. I know these guys. Turn it up a little bit on them." And you know, and it worked. They're not going to keep their cool. They're going to, like, that's USC's MO. It's like, oh, we're going to chat it up. We're going to pose. We're going to do this. We're And Justin Wilcox knows these guys. Yeah. I mean, he he was the coach for, for several of these older players. So he's like, he probably was like, turn it up. He might even told them specific guys to go after. It Well, if it, that was the strategy, it worked. It did. It definitely worked. My last heard it was, uh, I've said this multiple times on different forums. After the Iman Marshall penalty, Clay Helton went up to Clancy Pendergrass and Johnny Anson and said, we need a three and out. And, and he said it multiple times very intensely. And Clancy's body language was just... Not having it? Not having it. Uh, maybe it just looked like, get away from me. And, and I feel like it was a very encapsulation of what this defense has done. It, it was a metaphor for the offense doesn't do its job, but then turns to the defense and goes, hey, bail, bail us out again. Do it again. <laughs> you know, it was it was a real-life demonstration of that, which... I thought was interesting. And when the penalty was called on Iman Marshall, Clay Helton went to the referees. He's like, you're going to call that in this situation? You've got to be kidding. And like, yeah, someone agree with that, with how much trash talking was going on in the game. He's like, you can't call that right now on a third down. A petit-. But you also can't go into the sideline. Yeah, you, you, you got to know better. You can't do that. Yeah. Agree, disagree. If USC's offense struggles, it's worth taking a look at Jack Sears. Agree. I would do it. Really? You know, because he has that different element of being able to run with the ball uh, that USC's offense has been really good at the last couple of years. You know, when they have someone who can keep plays, extend plays, and be more a little bit more creative, then yeah. Clay Helton is too soft on his players. Agree. I know I've heard about Clay Helton bringing guys in and reaming them out in his office and, and different things like that, you know, verbally getting chastising them. He doesn't do it publicly, which, you know, I, I'm okay with, but. The fact that you have had so many players leave the program or be dismissed from the program, have school issues, whatever it may be, tells me that you're not being hard enough on the group. And, you know, maybe if you're really hard on them, then you run people off that way. But I don't feel like it doesn't feel like that's the case. It feels like more that players feel like they can get away with things. So then they get in more trouble. 
that's the the risk you run when you try to be a friendly coach or a player's coach is that when it's time to enforce things, people aren't necessarily scared. Well, it's fine to be a friendly coach, but then have an enforcer on the staff. True. You know, create your staff. Your staff has to be well balanced, not only in their uh, teaching abilities uh, and their coaching abilities, but in their abilities to relate to the players, to discipline the players, to do, you know, all those things together. You know, players should feel like, you know, if so-and-so is getting on me, then I can go talk to this other coach. Remember the Titan style, you know? If, if, Attitude reflects leadership, Captain. Yeah, Captain. If uh, if Denzel Washington is getting on a player, then you know Will Patton should be able to walk over and uh, <laughs> and talk to him, whatever it is. So true. Sure. Yeah, I agree. But you should have a balanced staff in that regard. That's and where balance actually matters. Yeah, I don't think that, that that's the case with this staff. Sam Darnold made Clay Helton and company look better than they actually are as coaches. Mm, I mean, I still saw a lot of the faults, so. Maybe to the casual fan, yeah, I agree with that. But if you're really paying attention, I think you knew what was going on with this program. Now, is the offense better with Sam Donald, the number three, four pick, whatever it is? Yeah. Than a true freshman quarterback? Yeah. Will this true freshman quarterback be as good as Sam Donald when he leaves? That's what we still haven't seen. You know, and if Clay Helton is still here, you know, that then that would tell, you know, a lot more, you know, about the the coaching staff itself, but I, I still think the coach staff has to get better. I think they can get better. I think they're still learning in some regards, but yeah, I think I would agree with that as a casual fan, at least. I, I disagree with it, but I agree with, he made the scheme look better. He made the offense look better because he, if, if it didn't work well, he made a play with by himself. Like he made it look better than it actually is. And yeah. that's what you're seeing with JT. Like if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. Yeah, he, Whereas what, Darnold will create whatever. Yeah, things break down, he could still make things happen. Whereas JT is not as mobile and is not, you know, able to do that. Especially when, you know, the the their final two drives both ended on the same blitz coming through the middle. And, you know, if you have a blitzer coming straight at you, mobile quarterbacks can sometimes make that guy miss. And it changes the complete dynamic of the play. JT's not that guy. Yeah, I completely agree. No matter what happens in the next two games, Clay Helton should be fired. I think so, but that's not my call to make. Yeah. Will think, that happen? I don't think so. Yeah, I don't, I don't think that you know this coaching staff has shown that they're national championship caliber, and if that is that should be the intention at USC with the story history of the program, but I don't know if that is the intention of the, the uh, administration. It's true. We've said it multiple times on this podcast. We don't know. Indeed. All righty, moving on to questions. We have a question submitted by Steve and Poway. Thanks, Steve, for submitting that. He says, I love your podcast. Thanks. You guys are great together, kind of like Kornheiser and Will Vaughn. That's high praise. I don't think we are. Wait, who's who's who? PTI. Uh, hmm, I don't know. I think I'd be Will Vaughn. I don't watch enough PTI to really have a You seem more like an old white man. Excuse you. <laughs> He says, anyway, I'm writing because one of the arguments Dan Weber made very strongly in his podcast is that it would be terrible for USC to fire Clay Helton during the season because that would make USC the only major college program to fire three consecutive head coaches in the middle of the season. I'm a huge fan of Dan's and generally agree with his takes, but aren't there also major advantages to firing a coach sooner rather than later? It's no secret that Helton's long-term status at USC is in jeopardy, and now with the early signing period, it seems critical to have a new coach in place ASAP to create some stability and to hold on to the recruits who may be dropping off their early signing bandwagon and at a minimum be in place long enough to have a big signing day in early February thoughts. No, I I agree with Steve. Um, You know, I don't, the first program, the only program with three, I don't care. So what you had one, it was a guy that you had to fire because of alcohol abuse. You had one that you left on a tarmac after giving up 60 something points. Yeah, that happens. Um, so, and that was coming off a season where you were number one and went to unranked and, you know, barely above 500. So those situations, you're like, yeah, that makes sense. The Clay Helton situation. I don't see why it would change now versus in two weeks. Oh, they changed. They did it in season versus two weeks later. You know, I think you would give, if you were going to make that move, which like I said, don't think USC is going to make the move, which is why I don't think it's really going to happen. That's why it doesn't matter about the timing. But if you're going to do it, you do it as early as you can so that you can get that advantage. If you can already, especially if you can somehow line up and, you know, a lot of times you have interim coaches coaching the bowl games because one of the, you know, the PJ Fleck goes to Minnesota or when Brian Kelly went from Cincinnati to Notre Dame, 
you know, he didn't coach the, I think they were in the Sugar Bowl that year, Cincinnati. He didn't coach that game. He went to Notre Dame instead. Um, so if you have that situation, you go get your coach. And then especially, especially now with the early signing day, you definitely want to have your coach as soon as you can. So you can start lining up players for that early signing day because it comes in December, middle of December. So if you hire him at the end of the season versus if you made your mind up after the Arizona State loss, you have, what's that, a, basically a month more? That means if you, that gives you a month more to figure out when you, who you want to get, what you can get, you know, what kind of coach you can get. And even if you can't make the move until the end of the season, you, know, you have it lined up and this mid, mid major coach is going to come, but he's got to wait till his season's over and he's going to do it. You also can start telling the recruits, yeah, we got something lined up. You know, we really think you're going to like it. You can tell them if you want to or whatever, but you got to start building momentum towards that that uh, December fifteenth date or whatever it is because that is becoming signing day. And but before it's over, that will be signing day. Yeah, it's just going to take the place. the 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 secondary signing day is just going to be an afterthought in the future. Uh, it, it's going to be the the TV shows and stuff will be on that December date. It's the same thing with early signing basketball period yesterday. Uh, the early period for other sports started. All the attention was on basketball yesterday. It's all about that. Now, other players can still sign. There's a window to sign now, and there's a later signing period, and maybe one or two guys sign that are big names, but all the big-name guys are already signing the early period, and you're going to see the same thing with football in the future. The problem I have with that, though, is that I feel like USC is too messy when it comes to having an interim head coach. I feel like that's too dangerous. I think at this point, you you take what you'd get with National Signing Day, they already have a goodish class the shaping question, up depending on what happens. The question becomes, are you are you making this move for the future or are you making the move for this year? Yeah, and I wouldn't make it for this year. I would make then it. If you're making it for the future, then you need that recruiting class. No. You need to get stuff ready for the future. For the It doesn't matter about this year anymore. You're like, okay, if we lose the next four games, it doesn't matter. We're giving up on this season. That's basically the decision you have to make is do you want to invest in the future and make the, a coaching change or are you trying to – to do as much as you can this year, and then we'll see if we if we want to make a move. Because if if you've made your decision through after six games of the season, then go ahead and go with the decision. Your decision's already made. Are you gonna? Because otherwise, are you changing your decision based on the results? And that could be the case. USC could be like, oh, okay, we'll see how we do against Cal. We'll see how we do against UCLA. We'll do it against Notre Dame. But the decision's already made. Just make the move. No, I I think and given USC's history. The smarter decision is to have a clean break when there is no more football to be played, clean house so that there's no one left, depending on who you want. And you don't have any of the messiness with interim coaches. What whatever. messiness? When Orgeron what, took what over? messiness? When Orgeron took over? You, you're talking about the messiness of uh, interim coach thinking he might get the job? Sure. Is that the or messiness? the players... Yeah, okay, USC turnaround season after Kevin was fired. If USC fires Clay Helton, T. Martin will probably take over as head coach. And T. Martin mm. is head coach status in his not like no, cor- not necessarily. His, if you let me finish my point, in his like charisma slash with his players, it's going to be fun with T. Martin. It's going to be as suddenly it's going to let loose a little bit because that's what happens when you have interim head coach. It's going to be messy, and I don't think you Why is that gonna... messy? I don't understand what you're saying. Would it be messy? Because you know that there's going to be players who are like, we love T. Martin. Yeah. Yeah, and, and he's not head coaching material. It's the same thing with Clay Helton when he was got the job. And if you... guess who's head coach right now? Clay Helton. That wasn't me- The season wasn't messy. The decision-making was messy. That's what I'm saying. You leave the door open for messy decisions. Oh my, the, the administration is making messy decisions regardless if they do it before or after yeah, the season. Yeah, but this is putting the bumper Steve, rails the, up. Steve Sarkeesian was after the season. That still was a messy decision, not it hiring was, Chris Peterson when there was that was that was a real potential and instead choosing Steve Sarkeesian. I'm yeah, just, that's messy. It's because the less of an opportunity for a messy no, decision. The administration is going to mess up any uh, decision. That seems to be their track record right now. Hey, let's do this. Uh, let's put a spaceship in the middle of the Coliseum. That's a good decision, right? No, that wasn't in the beginning or after the season. Didn't matter. Still messy. Anyway, for the USC administration, every decision is messy. So it doesn't matter what time of the season you do it. Sure. Okay. Fine. But this is less. This is the bumper rails. Less messy. Ooh, less messy. It's going to be a mess regardless of this administration. Okay, but you can see I have a point. Yes. Nah. <laughs> 
you're so difficult. It's Meh. so frustrating. Hey, uh, there's a game against UCLA. How do you think this game's going to go? Uh, if the offensive line's good, they'll win. <laughs> just, uh, I need that on the, the soundtrack. Drop. Yeah. Just need <laughs> offensive line is good. They'll win. <laughs> What's your score prediction? How do you think this game goes? I don't really know. You know, I think they should win. They should beat Cal as well. I, they're more talented. Uh, they should be able to run the ball against them. You know, Jalen Phillips is out for the season, I believe, for UCLA. That's their best defensive player. Darnay Holmes is playing well, but he's not playing you know to the level I thought he would be at by now. I thought he would be you know a lockdown corner by a sophomore. He's not. Their offense is meh at best. Outside of Caleb Wilson, Caleb Wilson is a dude. Love watching that guy. What about their running back, Josh Kelly? There's a reason why he was at UC Davis first. He's good, but he's not. I mean, I would take Eno Benjamin over him any day of the week. I'd probably take uh, Moss over him. Okay. There's several running. Definitely taking Miles Gaskin over him. He's like mid-tier in the in the Pac-12, I guess. I, so, yeah, I'm not really impressed by their roster. Now, the question becomes the coaching, and I think Chip Kelly is a better head coach than Clay Helton. He has a better track record, obviously. But I also wasn't sold on Chip Kelly as the head coach at UCLA. You know, I don't know if the game – if he is – uh, being innovative enough now since he's come back from the NFL. I haven't watched enough of their games to be able to tell, but the, the only real takeaway I have from that team is Caleb Wilson's a dude. <laughs> Love me some Caleb Wilson. He's a dude, and he's a former Trojan for sure. That's right. Um, I think this is going to be like a – it's not going to be a pretty game. I think it's going to be muddy. The, the descriptor in my head is muddy. I don't know why. And then I think it will be decided on special teams, oddly enough, and USC will win – Squeak one out. If it's decided on special teams, USC has a decided advantage. Ooh, double decided. Uh, it will be like last year where, like, uh, the Michael Pittman. I don't think it'll be that. I think they'll just. No, I don't think it'll be exactly that, but I think it will be. No, it'll advantage. be exactly that play. Michael Pittman again. They're just going to do it over. <laughs> I hate you so much. This is an especially <laughs> feisty episode of the Family Feud podcast. I think it's that part of the season. I guess so. It's that part of an it, it is what it is season. Yep. It is what it is. And I think that's a great way to end the podcast. It is what it is. Thank you guys for listening. We'll be back next week uh, and we'll we'll see you guys then. Yeah, send us your questions. Send us your uh, stock up, stock down. Send us your, send us your stuff. Send us your stuff. Uh, we want you to be a part of the show as well. Yeah, because we appreciate you guys. We appreciate you <laughs> listening to us. All right, we'll see you guys next week.